Immigration Advocates Network podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Getting Started With podcast for Pro Bonos, an Immigration Advocates Network project. In this series, we talk to experts in the field to get their insight on working with a particular immigration client subset. This episode's focus is on working with clients who are detained. My name is Dina Knott, and I am the Volunteer and Community Education Coordinator and an AmeriCorps VISTA at Immigration Advocates Network. Today, I'll be interviewing Colleen Cowgill, the pro bono coordinating attorney for Rocky Mountain Immigrant Advocacy Network's detention program. Before joining Remain, Colleen was a staff attorney at Catholic Charities of Orange County, where she provided direct representation to detained and non-detained individuals in removal proceedings. Colleen has also worked for UNHCR, the UN Refugee Agency in Washington, D.C., where she focused on bringing U.S. asylum adjudications in line with international law. Colleen has a JD from Cornell Law School with a specialization in international legal affairs and a BA in philosophy and international studies from the University of California, Irvine. Welcome, Colleen. Hello, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're excited to have you. So to start us off, how about you give us a brief overview of your work with the Remain Detention Program? Of course. Just to give a little bit of background about the Rocky Mountain Immigrant Advocacy Network, or REMAIN, we are the largest provider of free legal services to immigrants in removal proceedings in the Rocky Mountain region. We're based in Colorado, and our organization promotes the knowledge of legal rights through legal orientation programs at both the Aurora Detention Center and the Denver Immigration Court. Our attorneys also provide direct representation to individuals in removal proceedings, and we are continuously working on advocacy efforts around various issues, including things like improving conditions in immigration detention and ultimately advocating for an end to immigration detention. So my work specifically, I'm the pro bono coordinator for Remains Detention Program. A lot of my work is focused on connecting individuals in immigration detention with pro bono attorneys to help with different aspects of their case. And so that work involves recruiting attorneys from local or national law firms, as well as solo practitioners or retired attorneys, really anyone who's interested in helping and being engaged, educating them on how they can help and connecting them with cases that fit their capacity and interests. And then in addition to that pro bono work, I also myself directly represent clients in immigration proceedings as well. Thank you. That's a great overview. So who are the people who end up detained and why do they usually end up in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question that can come as you would probably imagine with a variety of answers. In general, anyone who does not have lawful immigration status or whose immigration status is being challenged is at risk of ending up in immigration detention. And this could be individuals who have recently arrived at the border or a port of entry and expressed a fear of return. Those are individuals who might end up in immigration detention. Or it could be individuals who have lived in the U.S. for long or short periods of time, including individuals who have U.S. citizen children or partners or are very ingrained in their communities. 
they could also end up in immigration detention oftentimes if they have had some sort of contact with law enforcement including being transferred directly from criminal custody okay sounds like it could be kind of a broad range of people then yeah exactly i know at the facility here that we work we work with individuals who are currently detained at the aurora ice processing center which is just outside of denver colorado we see individuals from a wide variety of backgrounds in different countries Right now, we're seeing a lot of individuals who've recently arrived in the U.S. and are fleeing persecution in their home countries, including countries like Nicaragua, Venezuela, as well as countries like Ghana and Nigeria. There's a wide variety of individuals that we see and people who are seeking assistance with different parts of their case. Right. Okay. So my next question is what governmental organizations does a lawyer need to work with when they're taking on the case of a detained client, usually? Yeah, so a lawyer who's working on a case for someone who's in immigration detention will probably have contact with quite a few government agencies and hopefully not to make it too dry or boring here, but this will generally be agencies under the Department of Homeland Security or the Department of Justice. So within DHS, uh, Immigration attorneys might work with Customs and Border Protection, that's CBP, for clients who've recently arrived in the U.S. at or near a port of entry. The big agency most attorneys will probably work with is ICE, Immigration's Customs Enforcement. This is the agency that is the so-called custodian of individuals who are in immigration detention. So if you're trying to get a client released from immigration detention or communicating with ICE about you know, a client's medical concerns, you'll probably have contact with that agency somehow. And then attorneys might also work with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, if their client is applying for any sort of relief before that agency. Right, that makes sense, thank you. What obstacles do the individuals that you work with face in immigration detention? Yeah, that's a very important question. And I think it's first just important to note that immigration detention is civil, but the facilities are similar to are oftentimes the same as jails. And they're very much part of our nation's epidemic of mass incarceration. So individuals in immigration detention who are caught up in this system, most likely they're going to face a wide variety of obstacles, including things like access to counsel, Immigration detention centers are often located in remote locations, meaning far from legal representation, far from family and other community support. And they might also face access to medical or mental health care at the facility. They mentioned ICE is kind of the custodian uh, for individuals in immigration detention, and they are mandated to provide care to individuals who are detained at these facilities. But we often hear from clients about concerns in accessing that care, misinformation, or just generally that they have medical or mental health needs that are not being addressed. So in addition to these issues, the client could also uh, face barriers in actually being able to obtain some sort of immigration relief. And that's because cases before the detained immigration courts often move very quickly, so it's hard to find an attorney or to gather evidence when you don't have a lot of time to do so. And other difficulties include that the proceedings are in English. The courts do provide interpreters for immigration hearings, but the government doesn't provide interpreters for things like 
translating applications or translating evidence and everything that's submitted before the immigration court must be in English. And that is all a lot harder to navigate when someone is detained. Yeah, I can imagine how that would be very difficult. What obstacles would you say a lawyer working with one of these clients will most often face in their work when they're trying to make this case work the best that it can? Yeah, lawyers are going to run up against a lot of the obstacles that I just mentioned as well in advocating for their clients. But some things that might you know, seem obvious are obstacles like barriers in communication. Uh, each facility has different rules and procedures for allowing access to legal visits or legal calls. Some facilities allow free legal calls into the facility. Others require you to have an appointment ahead of time. And others might not you know, have any way for attorneys to call in and speak with their clients. The only way a client might be able to communicate is by paying for a call out of the facility. So that can be a huge barrier in and of itself. And there's also barriers in gathering evidence and information. I think an obvious thing that sometimes people overlook is that when you are going to visit a client in immigration detention, you know, it's not as easy to uh, meet with the client, leave and come back and get you know more evidence or documents. So oftentimes if I was going to visit someone in detention, I'd have a list ahead of time of questions or information you know that I want to gather so that when I leave, I'm not thinking, oh shoot, I wish I asked that one tiny question because it could take a lot of time to, to get back there again and uh, gather all of that information. And then lastly, I would just mention that something that maybe isn't as at the forefront of people's minds is that attorneys, you know, we have to be cognizant of what our clients are facing in immigration detention and recognize that what we think is best for someone may not be what is actually in their best interest. And I think this does come up a lot of times when working with clients in detention and is worth mentioning. And just as a few examples of, of how that might arise is, you know, our clients might be experiencing medical issues or they might not be able to get in contact with loved ones who are still in their home country. And to them, these are the things that are really at the forefront of their mind, the things that they want to get resolved as soon as possible. So as a lawyer, we, I think, sometimes want to jump straight into the legal questions, the nitty gritty of someone's immigration case. But by doing that, we might be missing other ways that we could really be showing up for our clients and getting their primary needs or concerns addressed. Right. Thank you. That was a great answer with a lot of different things to think about. It sounds like there's enough variance within detention facilities that it might make a difference to be familiar with your local detention facility and their particular procedures. Is that the case as someone who primarily works with a specific detention facility? Yeah, I think that's exactly right, that the practices can really vary by, from facility to facility. Like I said, we at Remain, we work with individuals who are currently at the Aurora Detention Facility, but I came here to Remain from California and the facilities, there are a lot of variants in how attorneys communicate with clients, how to gather information, what information, you know, the local ICE offices are willing to share with attorneys and what forms are consent authorization documents they might require. So having someone who is familiar with those practices, probably a local attorney, someone who can help you know, answer those questions, whether that be through a local listserv you might be on, that can be really invaluable to ensure that you, you know, are up to speed on, on what your facility is requiring and how to best advocate for your client. 
All right. What options are there for detained clients to seek release from detention? And which factors go into this decision? So very broadly, I think there are a lot of things that go into that question. But generally, the two most common avenues uh, for someone to seek release from immigration detention are going to be through either a bond hearing or through a parole request. There are other avenues, but I would say these are the two most common ways that a client is probably going to be seeking release. And the difference briefly between a bond hearing and a parole request is that a bond hearing is a hearing that's held before an immigration judge where the judge is looking at whether the client is a flight risk or a danger to the community and the client most often is going to be allowed to provide some testimony or evidence to those factors whereas a parole request is an affirmative application that's decided directly on the paper filings by ICE so there's no opportunity to have a hearing to explain various things or offer testimony, uh, but you can submit evidence ahead of time for the ICE officer to consider. And whether someone is seeking bond or parole, it often comes down to what they're going to be eligible for. There are a lot of eligibility factors that go into whether someone can request a bond hearing. It can depend on even how they entered the US or on their criminal history, they may be barred from requesting a bond hearing based on their criminal history. So those are some factors that go into that decision as well, of course, as the likelihood of obtaining relief. Those are things that an attorney would want to explain and go through with the client to, of course, manage their expectations and ultimately you know, let them decide what's going to be the best for them to pursue. And what other forms of relief might a client be seeking? So in addition to seeking release from immigration detention, a client most of the time is going to have an ongoing removal case. So they're going to have ongoing hearings before an immigration judge where the judge is looking at what forms of relief a client is going to be seeking to ultimately be allowed to remain in the United States. So before the immigration judge, the client could be applying for fear-based relief, which would be applications like asylum, withholding of removal, and relief under the Convention Against Torture. Or for individuals who have been in the U.S. for longer periods of time, they might be eligible to seek cancellation of removal. That's a special form of relief for individuals who meet certain residency requirements and can show hardship to qualifying relatives. And then lastly, uh, individuals could also be submitting applications to USCIS uh, while their immigration case is pending. So those could be U visas for survivors of crime, T visas for survivors of human trafficking, and so on and so forth. Understood. Thank you. To get a little bit more specific to your experience, what do you do at Remain to make sure lawyers are ready to work with clients in detention? At Remain, I think one of the most important things that we do is we connect any attorney who's working on a case, uh, representing a client with a mentor who is really their point person for any questions that might come up. And I think that's really key because as we kind of earlier talked about, there are so many things in immigration law, so many little questions about filings or local practice that come up that can be really hard for an attorney to navigate on their own at the outset. So the mentorship that we provide, I think, is really invaluable to ensuring that attorneys have a point person they can go to with any questions and don't feel kind of 
left out on their own to navigate this all. And then in addition to that, Remain offers a lot of trainings to attorneys, attorneys new to the field or who've already working on cases, including on topics like trauma-informed interviewing and working with individuals in detention, uh, as well as trainings on kind of the more substantive issues like various forms of relief, such as applying for asylum and how to complete an asylum application from start to finish of a case. And for pro bono lawyers who are new to this process and maybe are in a different geographical area, what are the things that you think are the most important for them to keep in mind? And I know that might be a little bit of a reductive question. Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think first that, um, like we kind of just touched on that you're not alone and you don't have to answer every question yourself, that to the extent that you have people in your community, other attorneys, uh, mentors that you can lean on, or, you know, whether looking for trainings or listservs that you could join, if you're going to take a case, these communities can be really invaluable in providing support. Um, you know, we've all been there from the point of starting out and going to our first appearance in immigration court or meeting with a client for the first time. So don't be afraid to reach out and ask questions because there are a lot of people out there who are willing to help. And then I think second is that you don't have to be an expert in immigration law to make a difference uh, in these cases. I hear from attorneys all the time who don't have any prior immigration experience, that they are hesitant to get started because they don't want to make a case worse. You know, they understand the high stakes that people are often in in these situations, and they're afraid that their unfamiliarity might get in the way, so to say. And I can say that that's really not true um, by virtue of the fact that you are an attorney, you have some familiarity with you know, the American legal system, the process, you're gonna be able to provide advice to clients that can really make a difference. And there are people along the way who are going to be able to support you as well. Thank you so much. I think that'll be really good for our audience to hear. As we come to a close, firstly, how would you advise a, a lawyer who wants to get involved specifically with Remain? How should they do that? How can they find you guys and get involved? Yeah, well, love that plug. Um, we would welcome any anyone who's listening to this to come join, come reach out to us. Uh, you can find our information on our website, which is remain.org. We have a page there where we post all of our current cases, so brief case descriptions of individuals who are currently in need of representation, as well as how you can get in touch with us over email. Our process starts by, uh, we have a brief orientation call with any attorney who reaches out and expresses interest. So kind of going through, you know, what mentorship and support we offer and how that process works. And then working with attorneys to find a case that might be a good fit for their, you know, their availability, their time, their capacity and things like that. So please visit our website and reach out to us. That would be a great way to get started. And one last plug is that you don't have to be barred in Colorado or barred in any particular area to take an immigration case. So don't let that be a barrier either. We work with attorneys from all over the U.S. and we work with a lot of attorneys who are in different areas of the U.S. and are still able to you know, meet with clients either virtually or telephonically and provide effective representation in their cases. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to mention before we close it out? Yeah, I'll just reiterate that if you are listening to this and you're 
thinking about getting started or you're someone who has wanted to get started for a long time, I would encourage you to uh, kind of take the leap because I know it can seem really intimidating at the outset, but I'm here to tell you that there are ways that you can help, um, you know, whatever your experience or background might be. So don't let that prevent you in any way from, from getting started. Thank you very much.